Good morning and welcome again to everybody. We're so glad that you've uh, come to worship with us this morning. If you are a guest or visitor, if you're joining us online, I uh, just want to again welcome you. Thank you for coming to worship with us here at uh, FBC Troop. For those of you who don't know, my name's Aaron Glover and I'm the pastor here. Um, and we've been in a, an exciting series the past few weeks. Um, for those of you who've been here, if you recall last week, we received a new command from Jesus. At the Last Supper, after they had finished the Passover meal, we remember that Jesus had given them an example by washing their feet. And then he had also given them a new command. And he told them to love one another as he had loved them. So they are to love one another. And as we looked at that, we saw that this was his new the new command was to be kind of a foundational point of the new covenant as he was instituting this right at the Lord's Supper. And we also saw how when Jesus said to love as I have loved you, he was also saying to love as I have loved you, which was as he had been loved by the Father. And as we considered that, we, we thought about how we could never love as the Father loves the Son. We don't have that capacity in our flesh. But because of what Christ has done, and because of Him giving His Holy Spirit to us, and because of Him fulfilling the law, and because of Him fulfilling His own love and giving His Spirit to us, we were enabled and empowered to walk in such love from Him. That's what we looked at last week. And Jesus also said that by this, all peoples will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And again, as we talked about love, 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 last week we defined that love, that agape love. Remember, it's different from the eros and the phylos, the romantic love or the brotherly love, those two different types. But the agape love, the word in Greek, is the kind of love Jesus was talking about here. And so this week we're going to continue in our series called Follow Me. And we're looking at the life, the teachings, the miracles of Christ through the eyes of the disciples, right? We're considering their, their culture, we're considering their uh, education, their careers, life, the political uh, climate that they lived in. And specifically, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus right now through the eyes of Peter. It's kind of who we're focusing in on. That's who we've walked with. We've seen a couple of miracles when Peter stepped out of the boat, when Jesus first called him. So we've kind of honed in on Peter as the lens we're looking at him through. And now today, what we're going to see as we're continuing on in this Last Supper, we've been at this meal for the past few weeks, so it feels like weeks for us. But this is only minutes for the disciples here. As Jesus is about to leave, he keeps telling them that he's leaving, but he's going to promise to give them another helper. And so today we're going to focus on the hope of that promise today, this other helper that Jesus promises to give us. And what I want us to understand today is that the work of Jesus on the cross did not only remove sin from the believers, it did that. It removed sin from the life of the believers, but it also added something to us. When Christ 
removed our uncleanliness from us, he made us a suitable permanent dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So he takes away our sin and gives his spirit to us. And that's what we're going to look at this evening as Christ, again, has removed sin through his work on the cross, but then also gives his spirit to the believer. So going back a little bit, again, we're at this Passover meal. They've gathered to observe the Passover. They haven't had the Lord's Supper yet. Jesus hasn't instituted that yet. They've just gathered to observe the Passover. And then as they're coming to the end of the meal, remember Jesus got up to wash their feet. And Peter kind of said, no, Lord. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter said, then wash my whole body. And Jesus was teaching them, as I have done to you, so you should do to one another. We looked at that when we talked about kingdom greatness a couple of weeks ago. How greatness in the kingdom comes in the form of a servant. But then Jesus also tells them that someone at the table is going to betray them. Remember this? Jesus took the morsel, he dipped it, and he said, he who will betray me is the one I give this morsel to. And he gave that morsel of bread to Judas, right? And at that moment, Satan entered into Judas, and Jesus told him, what you're about to do, go and do quickly. Jesus was handing himself over to be betrayed, to fulfill the will of his father, to be the payment For the remission of sin. So Judas has just left. Again, think about this evening if you're one of the disciples. You gather for Passover. Then your rabbi gets down and washes all of your feet. Then he tells you a betrayer sits among you at the table. And then Judas leaves. And then Jesus tells you to love one another. A new command I give you. And then this next thing that happens is, you can imagine this evening kind of feels like a roller coaster for the disciples, right? This is not your ordinary Passover meal for them. And what happens next, as we kind of set this up in the beginning of, at the end of chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus tells them that where he's going, they can't come, right? And if we are assuming ourselves to be looking at things through the lens of Peter, putting ourselves in Peter's shoes, he says, Lord, where, where are you going? I, I, I want to go with you, right? You want to go be with your master, with your teacher, the Messiah, your rabbi. You, you want to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go now. But later you will, right? And as Peter, you say, Lord, why not? I will go anywhere with you. I will lay down my life for you. You love the Lord Jesus. And you want to show him, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll lay down my life. I don't even care what any of these other men think. I will lay down my life for you. And Peter might have been built up a little bit, right? He felt, probably felt real devoted in that moment. And then Jesus responds to him and he says, will you? I tell you, before the rooster crows, three t- or before the rooster crows you will have denied me tonight three times times now if you're peter you probably felt real i love you jesus i will give my i will do anything for you and he tells you you're going to deny me three times before this night is over could you imagine what it would be like to hear those words from jesus for him to tell you you'll deny me you think you'll die for me you'll deny me 
his heart probably dropped down through the floor, right, Peter? Now, us living far on the other side of this, we, we know what happens to Peter. Church history tells us that Peter did indeed die as a martyr for Jesus. History tells us that he was crucified upside down. But in this moment, Jesus is dealing with this situation. And that also tells us that Jesus doesn't reveal everything to us at once. We really wish he would. But Jesus reveals things to us in part. As he wants to show us and lead us, guide us. He's revealing these things to us. So again... Imagine if you were Peter, how you felt. You're probably sitting in silence the rest of the evening, right? And then what happens? Well, at some point in the evening, we're gonna, we've been basing this out of John's gospel recently, these last few weeks, because John's gospel gives us some very in-depth looks at this, especially when it comes to the Passion Week and the crucifixion. But John doesn't mention the Lord's Supper specifically, it's interesting, but the synoptic gospels do. Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention it. And we have to wonder exactly in the events of all this evening, when we add everything together between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we put all them together. We think the Lord's Supper, when he instituted that, it happened some point right around here, either right after Peter's denial was foretold or, or right before it, somewhere around there. But we're not specifically told exactly. We kind of have to put clues together because the Gospels don't give us a full, it was 8 p.m., you know, 9 p.m. It doesn't tell us like that. We have to piece some of this together. But again, imagine what this felt like for the disciples. This night has been a roller coaster emotionally, spiritually. you probably very confused for them. And so Jesus, being compassionate to his disciples, those he loves... He knows they need comfort. He knows exactly what his people need. And so he does comfort them. He offers them some comfort here in, in John 14, verses 1 through 6, right? He tells them not to be troubled at heart. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he tells them that in his father's house are many rooms. We'll come back to that in a second. And that he's going to prepare a place for us. He's going to go prepare a place. And then he's going to return for the disciples. He says where he is, there they will also be. He's telling them, I'm going, but I will come back. And where I am is where you will be. So trust me in that. And he says, and besides, you know the way. And I love this because one of the disciples says exactly probably what many of us uh, would have been thinking in that moment. Where Thomas says, we don't even know where you're going. How could we possibly know the way? And this was that verse that Emily mentioned earlier this morning. Where Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now that statement is so loaded with impact and, and information and theology, we could do the whole sermon on that statement, I'm telling you. But let me suffice it to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the only way by which we are saved. But in that statement, as we're kind of looking at it right now, he says, I am the way. 
And here in a minute, we'll look at him as being the truth. So he comforts them. And then he goes on to tell them when they say, well, show us the Father. Philip asks, well, show us the Father. And Jesus explains, you still don't understand. If you know me, then you know the Father. When you see me, you see the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. To be known by the Son is to be known by the Father. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement here at the end in in verse 11, 10 and 11, where he says that the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. You ever think about that, that the Father dwells in the Son? We're going to come back to that in a minute. Believe me, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The Father dwells in the Son, and the Son dwells in the Father. Do you see that relationship there? It's going to become important here in just a minute as we actually dive into the text. I wish I could preach this sermon for about three hours. We'd probably get to what I actually want to say today. So I'm trying my best today because where we're diving is just so crucial to our lives as believers. This is so crucial to us. But what I want to give a little caveat real quick. The sermon today is not a discourse on the Trinity. I'm not going to try to explain everything about the Trinity. I'm not going to give you an entire theology of the Holy Spirit today. I want us to focus on the comfort that Christ is promising his disciples through the Holy Spirit. So that's our focus today. As we're considering the Holy Spirit, we're not going to get to everything about him. We'd have to spend a whole series on that. But today we're going to focus in on the comfort that Christ has promised us. So let's read, beginning in John 14, beginning in verse 15 uh, through 23, is where we're going to be today. John 14 and verse uh, 15 through 23. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. This is something that he told the Jews in John chapter 8. But you will see me, because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with There's a whole lot that just happened in that passage, right? A whole lot. 
But did you notice a couple of things get repeated? Did you feel like you heard a few things a couple of times, said just in a little bit different of a way? Let's go ahead and bring that table up real quick. I want us to notice some repeated patterns. Okay, so we have some, some concepts here. I don't, can y'all read those words right there? Are those too small? I feel like those are way too small. Probably are. Okay. Well, we won't make them that small next time I do this. Um, but look at this. As we're beginning here, we have in this first column, verse 15. In the second column, we have verse 21. Uh, and then in the third column, we come over to, to 21. Now, the first column also goes through 16 and 17. But look at this where it starts. The first statement, if you love me, right? That's the first place, if you love. The first, so the root of all this is if you love. What happens if you love? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says, then I will, the son will ask the father. If you love, you will keep my commandments. If you love, I will ask the father. Then what does the father do? Notice, he says, then the father will give you another helper. If you love, you will keep my commandments. If you love, I will ask my father. If you love, the father will send you another helper. And what's the result of this? In verse uh, 16 and 17, that you receive the spirit of truth. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, I will ask the father. If you love me, the father will send you another helper. If you love me, you will receive the spirit of truth. You see where the fruit is. The root is loving and the fruit is receiving the spirit. I don't want us to get this twisted. I think sometimes we get this backwards, right? Now, let's look at these others as well. He does it out of order. He said the one who, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me, right? So if you have the commandments and you keep them, you love Christ, right? So you don't have and keep them if you don't love him. That's what he says in verse 24. Again, even in this section in 21, the Genesis, the first place, is loving him. If you love him, you have and keep his commandments. And you're loved by the Son, And you're loved by the Father. And the result, in verse 21, Jesus says, I will manifest myself to him. How does he manifest himself to us? Through the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ manifest to us. Again, looking in verse 21, he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He's just reiterating the same thing over and over. He'll keep my word. And look at this. He says, the Father will love him. That's a repetition from verse 20. But look how he repeats it here He says, we, the Son and the Father, will come to him, right? We'll come to him and make our home with him. You realize that as a believer, the Father and the Son have come to you and made their home with you? This is what Jesus promised. This is what he promised. And I want to relate this kind of like a metaphor today. So let's consider it this way. So I'm a married man, right? Why did I get married? Because I love my wife, right? I love my wife, and so I decided to get married to her. Now, let me ask you this. Why do I keep our vows? I keep my vows to that woman because I love her. I don't, I keep the vows because I am married to her. I don't keep the vows to become married. That makes no sense. 
I keep the vows because I am married. I keep the vows because I do love her. Do you understand that the keeping comes from loving? That's exactly what Jesus is showing us here, right? I don't keep my vows to become married. I keep my vows because I am married. The keeping comes from loving. And so it is with Christ. Look at this. The entrance to his intercession, his manifestation, and his giving of himself, of the Holy Spirit, and his, him and his Father making his home with you is loving Christ. That's the first whole point of this, is loving Christ is the genesis point. It's all based and rooted on love. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about what love actually is. And we talked about how God is love, right? That love, true love, agape love, is of God. That's why this is at the very center of everything in our relationship with Christ. Love will lead us to him. Now, again, we say, but how, right? We want to know how this works. How? I got it. You said love. How? Makes sense. It's very, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. How? How will I do this? How can I, how can I do this? Well, we need to go back into the Old Testament to even begin to understand this concept. We got to drop all the way back to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. If you've come, been coming on Wednesday nights, you've heard this passage already. But Ezekiel 36 explains how this all works. In Ezekiel 36, uh, beginning in verse 25, the prophet says this. He says, from God, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and put a, and a new spirit I will put within you. And you know what spirit he's talking about there, right? It's not just any old new spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. A new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit. He said a new spirit, and he clarifies my spirit, the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. How does all of this work? How does all this happen? Because God first cleanses you. Cleanses. He takes away all of your sin. And where your sin was in your life, he puts his spirit in you. And you're now united to him in a whole new way. And he says, I'll take that heart of stone, the heart of stone that we're born with, the heart that loves sin and darkness. He takes that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, a heart with new desires that are after God. He says, I will cause you. I will do this. I will do this. I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. 
Every bit of this comes from God leading you into this. The Holy Spirit, notice, is given to us after he cleanses us, right? He says, I will cleanse you and I will put my spirit within you. I'll take your heart and I'll give you a new heart. We are not a suitable, permanent dwelling place for the Holy Spirit until we have been cleansed of sin, right? Another thing that this assures us of is this assures us that Christ's one sacrifice is sufficient for all time. Because if your soul could be stained by future sin, you would not be a proper dwelling for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not be permanently joined to any kind of sin. What a wonderful thing it is to realize that Christ's cleansing of you is full, it's permanent, and it's complete. And once he gives you his spirit, it's to be with you forever, united to you. He gives you his spirit. Jesus is allowing us. We, we don't have time today. I'm looking at my clock right now, and I'm almost about to go way over, and I'm halfway through what I wanted to say today. Okay? But what Jesus is allowing us to do in this is enter into a whole new fellowship with him. We think about fellowship. We're thinking about meeting up with somebody. But Jesus Christ is giving us a constant, eternal, permanent, always on, always connected, always together relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus gets to here in a little bit. But I want to touch on this before I begin to to wrap us up today. Because I I think we're at a place where I I can't even begin to say half of the... I don't want to get off into the next thing. We're going to be here another half hour. But let, let me begin to wrap it up with this. In those couple of verses, before we got to our actual passage, Jesus says that in my Father's house are many rooms, right? So we start thinking about the mansion in heaven. What our mansion's going to look like in heaven. But have you ever considered, when he says in my father's house, the word there means my father's household, right? I come from my father's household. I'm of his household. He says our many rooms, that word there, rooms, right? Sometimes, depends on your translation, it says mansions, right? The word there is a word, mane, that has a root word, meno, And I don't like to get into all the Greek words. I don't all the time unless we really, really need it. Minnow means a dwelling place, an abiding place, to tabernacle, to remain. In my father's household are many dwelling places. And if you're a believer, you're a dwelling place. You're a dwelling place. You're a dwelling place. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus was going to the cross to remove sin from your life so that you could become a proper dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Ezekiel was talking about. I'll cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. I'll cleanse you from all your idols. And I'll put my spirit within you. 
One of the things that we need to understand and be comforted with whenever Jesus is talking about the dwelling place, the dwellings of the Holy Spirit and our dwellings with the Father and us being in him and him being in us, it's, it's metaphorical in a sense, but it's literal. When Jesus said the Father is in me, Jesus meant the Father is in him. And when Jesus tells us that I am in you and you are in me, he means that. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Literally, right now, abundantly, forever, assuredly. Should you to understand, as a believer, you are never alone. Not one moment on the face of this earth are you ever alone. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you have direct access to the Father because you are in Christ the Son and because of his Son, you can go boldly before the throne and cry, Abba, Father. You have the Holy Spirit because of Christ Jesus. We're going to continue this message next week. We're we're just getting started in our understanding of this. But what I want to assure you of today is if you are a believer, you have been cleansed of your unrighteousness and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit forever. He lives in you. Walk in that. Let's pray, church. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today in thanksgiving. God, not only have you taken away our sins through your son, Jesus. Not only have you cleansed us, but you have also filled us with yourself, God. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit, with the spirit of truth. With the spirit of your son, Jesus, with your spirit, Father. What a wonderful gift that is. And what a hope and assurance it is to know that each and every one of us has that because we believe in your son, Jesus. Because we believe, we love. And because we love, you have manifested yourself to us. And you have given us that spirit, not as as something to take away from us, God, but you gave us that spirit as something to be with us until the end of the age is what you said. You will go all throughout this age with us, God. You are united to us forever. What a wonderful thing it is. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And yet we have it because of how benevolent you are, how generous you are, how merciful you are, how graceful you are. And that spirit lives inside of us, but not passively. Your spirit is active in us. He's moving us, God. Stir our hearts through him. Have him stir our hearts and our minds to think about you, to set our minds on the things of heaven, to set our minds on Christ. Show us how to walk. Show us how to love. Empower us to love. That we may walk this earth as your children and that the world would see your son because of the life in us.
Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen.